0: log mini-series where we chat about navigating the digital healthcare world. We'd like to thank CHIME, as always, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives for sponsoring this mini-series. And speaking of CHIME, today's guest is Jane Dwelly, the Global Non-Profits Vice President. It was Jane who approached the leadership log with the idea of creating a mini-series about digital health. And there are no surprises there, as CHIME has spent the last 30 years supporting health and care leaders working in digital health. Jane saw an opportunity for the Leadership Log team to focus on digital health leaders through a spin-off podcast, and she sponsored us to create this. So really, Digitel is all thanks to her, and we're so grateful to her for thinking of it and for encouraging us um, and for making all of this happen. So um, to tell you a bit more about Jane, she's worked in health policy for many years, and she's held policy roles in the Department of Health in NHS England before she moved to Chime. She now provides digital health leadership training for nurses and midwives on the Florence Nightingale Foundation Digital Scholarship. I've talked a bit about that on the podcast before because I've been on her fantastic Chime Leadership Academy and absolutely loved it. Um, and she also does consultancy and support in the NHS and with other organisations on their digital health strategies. So today we're going to be talking to her about, well, I'm going to be talking to her about educating the digital health workforce. Jane Thank you so much for joining us on Digital and for sponsoring us. <laughs> it's a double thank you.
1: That's no problem. Absolute pleasure to be here. And I'm so glad that we've been able to sponsor this spin off podcast. It's going really well.
0: Um,
1: so let's start off by
0: can you tell us a bit more about Chime and what they're doing internationally to support the digital healthcare
1: workforce development? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, Chime um, does three things uh, internationally it runs a global network of digital health leaders of all stripes, clinical and managerial. We have a professional education programme, and you've been on some of that. And we also offer accreditation of professional experience and skills through our certification programme. And that's it, really. We're very focused on leadership, training, development, support. And we don't stray away from that too much. We do one more thing, which is Uh, digital health maturity analytics through our Most Wired survey. And that is something that happens around the world as well. But my particular focus is on the networks, the education and the accreditation. And I think the other thing that distinguishes the international work from other parts of Chime and its work is the fact that we focus on clinical groups, as well as managerial groups. So by managerial, I mean people like chief information officers or directors of IT or directors of strategy, and they're all extremely welcome and everyone's welcome at CHIME. But what I've been able to do in the last four years since I've worked for CHIME is extend that education and accreditation offer to clinical groups, nurses, midwives, doctors, AHPs, all of whom can benefit from the network we offer and our education and training and accreditation. And I think that's been a really positive thing that Chime has done internationally, because it was a gap in the market. There was no one else offering that in the same way that we do and with that global reach.
0: It's just so brilliant. And I'm personally really grateful to Chime because I think it felt to me very difficult to work in the digital health area as a nurse, because it just felt like, where's my nursing identity? Do you need me here in this digital place? And I think opening up those conversations and creating those networks has been personally incredibly impactful, but I know much broader than just me. I know many people who have found it incredibly important and helpful to them. So thank you. It's really exciting the work that you're doing. And um, if if anybody who's listening is interested in knowing more about the kind of academy, um, digital academy
1: that Jane is talking about, then I'll put lots of information about it all in the show notes. We have got next year two academies running, one for digital scholars and one for anyone who's interested from a nursing, midwifery and AHP background. And it'll be exactly the same that we deliver for the digital scholars, uh, but we're doing it separately from the scholars to allow more people to join in on Chime Education. That's the same residential in a beautiful place somewhere and um, lots of fun and learning and networking, as you know, from your visits. You've been twice, haven't you now? So i have been lucky enough to be allowed well. to come
0: twice i'm really hoping i'll be allowed to come every year jane because it's so sure good will. it's such good networking and it's um <laughs> and i think some a part of for me it feels like that's the really really important bit because we're all working in these digital health roles um and we're kind of doing the day-to-day of it but it sometimes feels lonely in that space when you've when you're the only one in your trust or the only one that you know in the area so to kind of link people together and help provide that support is really really key although obviously the educational as- aspects of it are really important too and really really mm-hmm. useful and um and
1: relevant but I think that the network bit for me was just it's as important you're right it's like people get people feel lonely they're not sure they're doing the right thing they don't have um any sort of um professional um system support and that's coming and Natasha Phillips working really hard on that but for you know a digital health nurse or midwife working in a trust on their own with two or three other people, they need that support and that network. And everyone who comes gets that and leaves saying, I understand why I'm here now. And I understand what my role is and how I can take it forward really successfully. And for my colleagues at Chime and, and me, it's enormously gratify- gratifying to, um, to have that feedback that we've actually changed lives and have actually helped people in their in their digital health leadership roles and in their life roles as well as as parents as partners as spouses wherever you are as you know from your uh, time with us we focus on the whole individual uh, to make sure they can do their job as well as they can but also make sure their life ticks along in a fulfilling way as well
0: Yeah, I think you're going to get a lot of applicants after this chat, Jane, because I'm singing the (laughs) phrases, but it really it really is impactful in in huge parts of beyond just your job. It's it makes you think about all areas of your life and and making sure that you've got the support you need to be able to succeed. And that's it was amazing. So now that everybody's listened to this podcast and heard us talking about it, we'll definitely make sure the details of how to get on it are in the show notes so that Jane can be flooded with applications from clinicians across the UK. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we've talked a bit about what you do in the UK, but you've also mentioned that about um, you're, that you're a global, global organisation at Chime and that you've started 30 years ago in the US. So I thought it might be interesting f- for you to reflect a bit about how the UK compares to America when thinking about digital health.
1: Yeah, as you said, Chime started 30 years ago in the US and has been since then largely a CIO organisation. And that's for a very good reason in that, It's a very different system in the US and the driver of digital health has been the insurance payer system. So they've needed to put into place a number of measures to ensure that uh, that whole system works efficiently and accurately and payment is made and recognised. And so um, the ability of US hospitals to manage large Digital health systems became prioritized. And from that, you got some extremely um, efficient and great um, leaders from the CIO community. So I think that has really shaped how we think about digital health. And of course, there are nurses and midwives and, and clinicians and doctors working in that space as well. But from where I'm sitting now, I think we're able in the UK, as I said already, to expand that membership and that help to all different uh, professional groups, because at the end of the day, digital health isn't really about the tech, as Bob Wachter famously said in 2016, it's largely about the people. And it's about the people who are prepared to see that responsibility they hold as a leader, for finding the potential in their team and the processes around digital health and then having the courage to develop that potential and i think that's really what leadership's all about full stop in digital health it have it has a very acute focus because you have got these processes these systems um the technology the data and so on behind that coming in at all different angles and so lots of different people working in digital health can take that opportunity to take that solution and apply it using their team as the delivery vehicle for that and that's really what i think the leadership boils down to the other thing i think that makes um different from the US is that we have got a tax-funded NHS in this country and we don't have as much money for these sort of things. There is money, there is money available and there's good budgets for digital health uh, processes but we have also a workforce who have been exposed to some failed Um, processes in the past. And I think, therefore, there's a bit more fear and trepidation about um, a new digital health initiative coming in. And just also, we've got a very overworked workforce at the moment. And so I think a good leader in this country has to tackle their colleagues' fears and concerns throughout the process by listening to them and working with them on the solutions and also the way in which that change is communicated. So I think we have a bit of a different approach. Um, both are great, both are valid um, and we can learn from each other as well. I mean, as you know, we, we do bring our US faculty over here um, oftentimes for our uh, academies and boot camps and they learn as much as they teach about our system and the things that happen here when they come over. So it's it's a very good two-way process. We've talked
0: a bit already about the clinical workforce being a kind of an area of growth for Chime and something that you've really kind of spearheaded yourself in the UK. Um, do you think that the needs for the clinical workforce are different than for other parts of the digital workforce? And um, what are the different skills are that, that you think that they need to develop um, to be able to work in this space?
1: There's a different approach from clinical professionals in digital health. And I think that's largely focused on the patient. So as, um, as a profession, they have two ways in which they're naturally patient focused the first one is because they are talking to patients every day gathering information from them they have a great insight into how a digital health solution will land with that patient and how it will actually be successful or not and that was a thing that I saw happen during the pandemic when suddenly out of nowhere, because of the uh, emergency we were all living through, multidisciplinary teams were formed to deliver these digital um, solutions to people sheltering at home and and so on in the vaccination programme. And I think for the first time we saw nurses and midwives and, and clinicians like doctors actually having a say at these MDTs about how it will affect the patient because they deal with those people all the time. So that was the first reason. And secondly, I think... Um, to quote Bob Wachter again, digital health is mainly about information and a digital health clinical professional will spend a lot of time collecting information from a patient and it's not just uh, data points uh, delivered by um diagnostics blood pressure and so on it's also information more subtle stuff like how they're feeling and, and what their outlook is like and what their mood is like and so and what's worrying them and what's their what are their concerns and so because of all of those points of contact with the patient and those more subtle data points i think we're seeing clinicians getting a much rounder picture of the patient and therefore understanding how a digital solution will work best with that group. That's not to say for a second that CIOs don't have that insight but if you're a CIO you've got different responsibilities working in different parts of a trust or an organisation and I think together the CIO and the CCIO or the CNIO or the digital health leader can actually work together to really understand um, that patient focus and how that is so important.
0: That's brilliant I think it's really just reflecting on what you're talking about there reminds me of other conversations I've had with previous guests on the podcast about um, how sometimes CIOs might find it a bit offensive maybe when all of the digital nursing workforce say, Oh, we're the translators because the technical people don't understand the clinicians and the clinicians don't understand the technical people, because technical experts often are really great at user centered design or about um understanding the people that they're serving with digital tools. So I think it's not at all a comment about that, about the ability of the of the digital workforce to to understand patients or to understand clinicians, but actually more about um make, getting the right people to do the right job and finding that so actually that the technical people can spend longer on finding the right solution if they've got a different group of people who are more well practiced at speaking with patients and understanding their needs and it's just trying to find get the best out of the workforce that you have isn't it and and really kind of targeting your efforts in a way yeah. that, that gets the right outcome
1: yeah, um, nice.
0: and we've all got so much we can learn from each other i think the technical workforce and the clinical workforce can really complement each other well if they sort of commit to working positively together which we mm. have to do in the mm. nhs there's no other option mm. now is there
1: that's right and i think not having an information in your title doesn't stop you being that person and that was where we've grown from in our work is who are those people with that information with that interest and that that seeing that potential in the digital solution to bring that forward for patient care so i think yeah it's, it's all working in the right direction i do think the work we've been able to do developing curricula specifically for nurses midwives and clinicians has been so valuable in that area
0: it's it's sort of helped me to have the language i needed to be able to have better conversations with the cio or with mm. other other sort of colleagues who have got a different background to me and that's i think often the bit that we're missing is you know if you if you're asking the questions wrong then you're not going to get the answer you need exactly. So trying to kind exactly. of think about how to frame what you need yeah so just try trying not to frame this question too negatively, because it might sound negative, <laughs> but what do you think are the biggest areas of concern right now for digital development in the NHS? Because I know you've worked in government roles in your career before you've kind of moved it more into the NHS area. So do you think what's happening at the moment in central government, it's kind of a period of turmoil at the moment, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's quite disconcerting <laughs> for everyone. Do you think that's going to slow us down digitally in the NHS? And do you think like, how, how will we manage that barrier?
1: Um. I hope not, but I do think it's a real risk. And I think that's nobody's particular fault. I think it's a combination of factors of facing a very difficult six months, as we often do at this time of year, looking at winter pressures, flu season, and now also the potential of another COVID outbreak. So health and care staff are already under pressure for those reasons. And then we have the thing we really weren't expecting, um, thanks to things like the war in Ukraine and other aspects, which is the increasing cost of living, rising energy prices, and they're impacting negatively on patients and staff. We really don't know how that's going to uh, play out over the next six months. So it's it's something to really think about. And I think the third thing is we're finding it really hard to keep some people in posts. And you know there's a workforce crisis on our hands. So all of these things will impact negatively on the ability of NHS leaders to bring in the changes we want to see through digital health. And I think there's a risk that they're all looking one way and we don't, you know, we miss the opportunity to to do that, to do that work, because they're going to be distracted by managing a crisis, by managing what their organisation is going through in these pressurised times. And they probably won't think they've got the bandwidth to do this, to do the digital transformation and focus on those quality improvements. Or if they do have some bandwidth, it's diminished. It's not going to be as powerful as it once would have been. And on on the other hand, you can understand why someone would say, well, we don't want to risk patient safety or continuity of care by stopping doing something that's kind of working to bring in a digital solution. So. That's all the background. And my worry is that by not attending to digital health improvements now, we're setting ourselves back for months or even years on this particular journey. And change is hard and digital health change is, is really hard sometimes. And the question really now is how we keep NHS leaders focused on future opportunities while keeping... The show on the road and I think that's really really going to be difficult for people so I you know I do I you know my heart goes out to everyone working in the NHS and social care over the next six months it's going to be tough and you no know, everyone's in this job for a good reason that's a vocation not a job they want to help people and I think we're going to look to some of our very strong leaders to keep reminding people that there is a way of making things better and that digital health when applied successfully can be transformational and can make those big differences but I think it's a real risk at the moment do you
0: yeah well yeah it's it's um I think it feels uh, one, one of our very early guests dear Crean, who's our cio where I work said mm-hmm. sometimes it feels like an uphill struggle and like you're pushing just constant and that actually is what the job feels like most days you're you feel like it's an uphill struggle but then when you look back over the last few months you see that uphill struggle resulted in some change so yeah. even though it feels exhausting on a daily basis you are doing something that makes a difference and so i suppose for me even though yes it's very difficult and yes we struggle with resources and yes the change management and the dealing with staff who don't want to do it is all difficult if you while it's hard think well when it's been hard before and then we've had it's worked then you just have to realize that's what this job is change management is hard and it will be hard daily and you just have to that's what being a strong leader is really isn't it being able to see through that difficult bit and and recognize that you're that the hard bit kind of passes eventually and you move on to the next hard thing but that that's worked and you've got something that's worked but i think you're absolutely right that there is that big risk that if we slow down because everything else is busy then we don't get the advantages in the long run so we can't stop even though it feels like to some, feels like an an optional extra. It isn't an optional extra. We're going to be, um, we'll struggle much more in the future if we don't do it now. So,
1: Good leaders uh, think very carefully about what they ask people to do and when they ask them to do that and communicate that very carefully uh, in in the space of where they know people are coming in every day, feeling uh, unmotivated maybe, feeling exhausted, uh, feeling worried about what's going on. So there's, there's a lot of careful... Uh, tactful leadership ahead I think for for this to be successful in any way and resilience and I think people are against the word resilience at the moment they think it's because it's asking too much of people uh, sometimes to be resilient when they should really be saying help but I think look understanding that we have got um, these opportunities and this great potential and just working out when the best time to deploy it would be in in a realistic way that doesn't crash people and make people want to leave and actually give people hope and support about what they're doing is the right thing so it's going to be difficult but i think ultimately knowing the people i know who work in the nhs will get there i'm very positive about that
0: we have got an amazing workforce in the nhs who yeah. are so committed to to doing this well for patients and for their colleagues clinical colleagues and otherwise mm. so i think you're right there's a lot of space for hope um, some yeah. of our I, I suppose the difficulty is knowing whether it's the right change that you're making because if you're certain this is the right thing then you can help your teams to get through mm. that thing mm. um and work together but sometimes the uncertainty that comes with digital innovation means that it's harder to because to, you're not sure whether it's the right thing and you need to try it with someone and that's really hard to tolerate when you've got so much else going on so i see it's i see hard. the innovation bit as being the hard bit to mm. carry on when when other things are so difficult um, but we did have we, an example from our trust recently is that we've been implementing EPMA into our community hospitals, um, electronic prescribing and medication administration for anyone that doesn't know my acronym, just check my acronym <laughs> use there. Um, and one of the clinical staff in the feedback said her comment was, I was think I was so nervous about this change coming in, that I was thinking seriously about leaving my job but now it's arrived and I've realised actually it's making my job easier, it's making drug rounds quicker and I'm really, really happy about the change. So that's a really lovely example about where it's gone really well, but she was was so nervous and then it's worked really well. But if we'd implemented it and there were lots of hiccups or difficulties in the road and it hadn't been smooth sailing, then she'd thought about leaving her job and might have done. So I think Mm. that's the risk that we have to think about as leaders is the staff are already at their limit. So, yeah, yeah. so it's very difficult. I think you're right, it's very difficult. So to t- take it to a more positive place, perhaps, to to, um, to kind of flip the question a little bit, what do you think we're doing really well in the NHS at the moment
1: in digital health and where are our biggest opportunities? Well, I'm going to say this, aren't I? I'm going to say it's about training and education. And I do think that <laughs> yeah. it's a positive. Um, because of, as I already talked about today, it, it does give people a new um, spin on what they're doing and it gives them insight into their, their, their reasons for being in the job they're in. Um, I, and, and we have got support, you know, Florence Nightingale Foundation, Health Education England, NHS England. They're all putting um, financial support into training people, uh, building programs, digital academy. I know you're on the next cohort. Yeah. Uh, so there are, there are, th- those things are going on. And I think, education is such a wonderful thing isn't it to be able to give anybody the gift of learning the gift of some education is is great and uh, helps people really uh, reinforce their decisions to take that career path they've chosen and helps them understand how they can work better and deliver better patient care so i think that is a positive thing obviously i think we could do more and I think it's really important as many people as possible can access education and training um, and sometimes we were able to work with other people like we work with the Burdett Trust for nursing we just ran a grant program um, for them and that, was, that went really well and that actually gave people a small amount of money to help develop their projects and we've had some amazing responses from that so that that's a lifeblood of energy and education and and training in leadership is really great and that that's not going away um it might be a little bit diminished for a while while we sort things out but i think overall it's a really real positive step in the nhs yeah
0: it's um it's really great to hear you say that because i think you're right there's a lot of brilliant opportunities and what's hard sometimes is making the decision that doing that education is more important than just carrying on with everything else that's going on because there is so much to be done. Mm. But personally, I've always found that if you, however busy you are, if you go and do your two days of whatever it is on the Digital Academy or your weekend time, then the the opportunity for reflection that you get and the discussions that you have about the projects you're working on and, and all of the kind of things that come around that actually really help you get through the work that you need to do when you get back. And so I think um, I think you're absolutely right. We've got to make space for it and you've got to make it accessible for people and support staff to, to access those opportunities and we do share quite a lot about that um, those sort of opportunities through digital but i'll put as i've said earlier i'll put links to all these yeah. um great yeah. opportunities that Jane's mentioned in the show notes because i think it's really important to give people the um the routes to find those those different opportunities um, and I think as well to think they're not it's not just about being at a certain band and then you get those opportunities, mm-hmm. because actually we're all you know you're a leader in the NHS once you're if you want to be, then you can be a leader and you can make change so lots of those opportunities we've mentioned can be. Um, you know can apply to whatever level you're at there's something that you can access to, to help you kind of think about
1: how you can how you can impact this really important work. The other opportunity I think that's coming up is the way in which organisations are measuring how digitally mature they are, because that's really important in terms of improvement. And it's often said, if you measure something, you know where to start the improvement. And we're seeing um, a new focus from the centre on making sure that as many places as possible have an understanding about their levels of digital maturity in order to take that forward and improve them where necessary. And again, I'm seeing um, clinicians, say from the Faculty of Clinical Informatics, coming in to support that and lend their support to that measurement to make sure it's measuring the right things and then that the evidence that's gathered is acted upon. I'd also like to say, I think, would like i'm seeing improvements in communication with patients in terms of how they access their data and how they are and how they understand what's happening with their care pathway and and that also leads to better patient safety and i'm passionate about patient safety in the nhs i think it's one of those areas where because we never gathered the data in the first place accidents and avoidable harms were allowed to continue. We've seen some really terrible um, examples of that in recent weeks coming through on various reviews. Um, And Jeremy Hunt, uh, when he was health secretary asked Baroness Cumberledge to carry out a review into some patient safety incidents around women's health and maternal health. And um, the, the one thing that came out of that was, we're not measuring anything, so we don't know. And I think that was so shocking. And throughout the report, Baroness Cumberledge wrote, The system does not know, so nor do we, how many women suffered this or how many babies suffered that. And that data now will hopefully start to flow in some respect. Um, So we're getting a fuller picture of what's going on. But I think it's on everyone's um, responsibility to make sure that if they think something isn't being measured to speak up about it and make sure data is being collected because we'll never know otherwise. And I think that's one thing um, that we can do as a group of people to reduce avoidable harm in the NHS wherever possible
0: it's a really really good point and really fundamental i think to the what to why clinicians need to be involved in digital health because there's so much link to patient safety um, and we're just starting well it feels to me that we're just starting to make those links between patient safety teams and digital teams and bring them together and help them to understand each other's work Um, and i think yeah, you're absolutely right that clinicians are fundamental to have to to kind of bringing in those conversations clinicians are used to doing risk management and do, and thinking about patient safety as, as their central part of their role and so if they can apply that to what we're doing digitally then I think we can we can have a really big impact um, yeah brilliant good point <laughs> so now the less serious questions at the end of the podcast which I'm sure you hopefully you prepared for because everyone's like oh that's the hardest question I've ever been asked <laughs> um, so the first one um, which we ask everyone, is uh, what digital technology has most impacted your life, Jane, and why?
1: Well, I was going to say the mobile phone or my iPhone. And and then I thought about that a bit more because I had an iPhone for 10 years now. And when I first got it, I treated it very much like a computer in my pocket. And, and I was quite sort of wary of it, like, well, what will it do? Um, of course, things have gone on and developed a lot in the last 10 years. So my digital health Uh, technology that's most affected me I would say is going to be apps and I think they're a little bit overlooked at the moment but I was just thinking the other day how important apps were back to my previous answer in terms of measurement and data and I have a lot of apps on my phone, which are collecting data about me. So my my health data, you know, my exercise and and output in that way, but also other things like, you know, mood maps and that kind of thing. And I think that's so helpful in terms of understanding oneself and where where I am as a person and I know knowing and seeing what I've been up to and what the impact of those things have been. So I think that I'd I say apps, actually, and they're such a – such a natural thing to have on a phone. But if you think back, they weren't always on phones. It was There they, they was a time when we didn't have apps. And I think an app is such a great tool to help as many people as possible uh, collect their data and use it properly and present it back to them. And possibly slightly overlooked at the moment, but that's one thing I'd go for, the app.
0: It's a good one. And I think it's a real, apps are great because there's such an opportunity for innovators because mm. sort of, I, well, I'm saying this like an absolute, it's the most naive thing I've ever said. So alert, I, I don't know anything about digital really, but apps for lots of people are accessible to create. So you can make simple apps. Anybody can think of one and can probably figure out how to make it. And so it's a real opportunity for people to think like, oh, what do I think is needed and create it and see and try it out. And I think that's, it's lovely to see the kind of enormous growth in that. And and you're right and the kind of tracking of of yourself to be able to learn more about yourself is a lovely opportunity although i've got one of those habit ones and now it just is like a guilt thing for me just yeah, constantly going why are you doing well. this i
1: know <laughs> I think that's that's there's so many of them to choose from you can you can let them go if they're not working for you um and there's no there's a whole new generation coming through we don't even have to put the input the data anymore so that's the really scary one our our watches are sending the data our bathroom scales are sending the data so yes there's a lot going on there but I think yeah we're learning a lot about ourselves and how we how we manage habits and how we manage um our lives and people who who write about things like atomic habits and you know the power of the habit they they must love the the app in terms of non-compliance as well in terms of how people don't use them so i'm not saying they're the answer for everything but i do think there's something that has subtly changed the way in which we use digital tech um to a great extent actually
0: Good answer. And I'm pleased you didn't say smartphone, because too many people have said smartphone. We don't want everyone (laughs) to have a smartphone. Obviously, it's a big deal in the tech world. (laughs) But nice to have some different answers. So the final question, Jane, for you today is if a movie was made of your life, who would you want to play you and why?
1: Well, I'm really sorry, but I couldn't think of a single I couldn't think of one person because there are so many fantastic British women actors of a certain age I can't choose one but I was thinking that if I were to advise a casting agent uh, on this matter a story of my life I'd say it should be a woman who's had a similar experience to me in her life such as raising children and having a career at the same time I could talk about that for ages (laughs) coping with challenges over health and relationships and therefore having the depth of reflection that those experiences would bring to a person. And I'm pretty sure that most British women actresses have had those experiences. And then I thought, well, actually, no, actors are trained to understand a character and think themselves into that role, whatever their background would be. Still, I think it would be helpful for that person to have walked in in similar shoes to me. And it's so fascinating, actually, i i would hate to think who would represent me in a film of my life um you know would be someone interesting to see i'm sure but i couldn't think of ever one, one person who'd be ideal for that just someone you know nice and nice and experienced <laughs>
0: All right. Well, OK, well, I'll let you cheat then a little bit and not say who you're going to have, even though obviously that's naughty. Because, <laughs> <laughs> But it is a difficult question. Everybody finds that really tough. Um, so I think, Jane, is there anything else that you wanted to say before we finish?
1: I think just how much I love my job at the moment. I'm I am I am the luckiest really I get to do some interesting travel and I work with lovely people and the nice thing is I can choose who I work with now and that's something that means a lot to me so no just in terms of where I've ended up through digital health I feel very lucky and I'm very grateful for that Um, and I think what you're doing on this podcast is great Antonia you and Becky and all the team from that cohort of Nightingale Scholars who managed to get together so quickly and do the podcast um you know, and not being natural podcasters that's the great thing you're not like you were already journalists or broadcasters or anything like that um so I thought that was not by a long amazing. shot <laughs> no but it just shows you don't need to be you don't need to be you have done a great great job so um yeah
0: well we've been having a lot of fun we've loved doing it
1: and thank goodness for Chime because
0: you were really the ones that made it happen for for me, particularly on digital. Um, and yeah, absolutely to, to mention Becky is a good idea because she's um, she's really been the orchestrator of all of it and um, and and inspired us all to do it. So um, yeah, no, it's brilliant. Thank you, Jane, for. Giving us the opportunity for getting Chime involved and and uh, putting yeah, I think it has created a really great resource for people to be able to listen. You know, it's a bit more informal, isn't it? I certainly make it quite informal. I'm an no, informal person.
1: It's, <laughs> no, it's meant to be. Um, yeah. So I think a, a podcast is is good if it's informal and that there's a bit of a theme running through it. So there's a certain element of it that's curated, which is exactly what you're doing now with digital. is taking the principles of the leadership log and making it more about digital health. So that works really well for me. So thank you. Thanks for doing it. Oh,
0: I'm glad you're enjoying it. Well, so it just falls to me really to finish off by saying thank you again to Chime and to Jane and, um, And thank you to our listeners as well. And if if you want to find out any more information about anything we talked about today, check out the show notes. And I've said a lot of things that I'm going to put in there. So I might have to ask Jane to remind me of some of them. We'll work together to put together a fantastic lot of resources for you all to have a look at. Um, So it's a goodbye from me and a goodbye from Jane.
1: Um, And we'll see you next time for our next episode. Thanks, Antonia. Good to speak to you.
0: listening to Digitel, where we're navigating the digital healthcare world. Any views, thoughts and opinions expressed by the host or guests belong solely to them and not necessarily to their employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual.